everyone, and welcome to the first installment of 21st in Lehigh, a Philadelphia baseball history podcast. I'm Matt Albertson. I'll be your host. I'm joined with Paul Bowman, managing editor, Sports Talk Philly, and Mitch Nathanson, professor, author extraordinaire, and Sports Talk Philly columnist. Today, we're going to be talking about the case of Dick Allen and his case for the Hall of Fame coming up and, and anything else that might help him get in. So first, Dick Allen misunderstood player, won an MVP award from 1964 to 74, led the majors in OPS plus in a league that includes Willie McCovey, Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, et cetera, et cetera. But he still hasn't gotten into the Hall of Fame. And we're going to discuss the reasons why and hopefully get into the details of what might get Allen in this year. So glad to have you both with us, guys. And Mitch, you are literally the expert on Dick Allen. Uh, you wrote a book a couple years ago, God Almighty Himself, The Life and Legacy of Dick Allen, uh, which you can get anywhere books are sold. Uh, right now, that would probably be Amazon, right? So let's start off. Mitch, 2014, Dick Allen misses the Hall of Fame by one vote. He's expected to be on the ballot this year. What do you think happens? I think a lot of it depends on who's going to be in that committee room. Um, uh, I, I think... If he gets the right makeup of people in that room, he's going to get in. I think if he doesn't get the right makeup of people in that room, he's not getting in. Uh, I tend to think he's going to get the right makeup of people. I, I think that given how close he came last time around and given the outcry, I think, of a lot of people who were upset that he didn't make it, I think it's going to be tough to keep him out this time around, particularly after Harold Baines made it. Uh, and, and so, I mean, I understand that it's not just, well, because this guy got in, then everybody else, you know, gets in who's better. But I, I think that it's, it's tough to make a case against Dick Allen, given some of the people who've gotten in recently. And uh, I, I guess I'm an optimist, although that's unusual for me, but I think I'm an optimist here. I think he, I think he gets in. Very good. Um, Paul, before I jump to you, I just want to go through some facts here. So Allen played 15 years in the majors. Uh, he was a seven-time All-Star, led the league in OPS four times, hit 30 or more home runs six times, had six seasons with 90 or more RBI, was a 1964 National League Rookie of the Year, where he hit 29 homers. And he was the American League MVP with the White Sox in 1972. Uh, he finished his career with a 292 batting average. Uh, and, I mean, he didn't have the 3,000 hits. He didn't have the 500 home runs. Um, but, but the numbers kind of speak for themselves. 292 batting average, 378 on base, 534 slugging, 351 home runs, 1,119 RBI. Uh, in 15 years. That's, that's big. And I think what some might not understand is, what some folks might not understand is, is that when Allen played, it was really a pitcher's era. It's a second, kind of like a second dead ball era. Um, so that the fact that he's able to put up these numbers is quite astounding. Yeah, and I, I was looking through his other high MVP voting uh, seasons uh, in 66 and 64 
And in 66, I don't, I don't think I could argue that he would, he was better than Roberto Clemente who won. Uh, but in 64, Ken Boyer won. Um, and I, I would think Dick Allen's Dick Allen did better that year than Ken Boyer did. Um, you could argue other people that were high up on the list, like uh, Willie Mays, uh, might have had a better season, but he still finished six, and Dick Allen finished seventh, which is kind of ridiculous in itself uh, compared to what Ken Boyer did that season, at least in my opinion. Um, and I think uh, part of the part of the problem that I think plays against Allen from our perspective right now is that it doesn't look like he just from a raw statistics standpoint, it doesn't look like he stands out in any one category. Um, He's more well-rounded. So uh, what I, I typically find myself writing something similar when I'm talking about Fletcher Cox and his chances of making the hall of fame. Um, compared to like Aaron Donald, who is super good at pass rushing, uh, not spectacular at run stopping. Uh, Cox is the well-rounded player. And I I would say that's more what Dick Allen was. Um, And because he doesn't have just one number by itself that seems to stand out among the rest, I think that plays against him when people are just looking up stats. Right. And just, just so I might interject here, Mitch, you brought up Harold Baines, which is an interesting case. And he's, he really goes in as a designated hitter. Harold Baines's career war, uh, win above replacement, over 22 seasons is 38.7. Um, if you look at Dick Allen's over 15 years, it's 61.3. It's not even close. And some might argue, well, Allen – while he played defense, didn't really play defense. He really wasn't noted as a good defender, but it, it really doesn't matter. He's almost double what Harold Baines is in, in regards to war, and his OPS is monstrous. Um, the last time Allen is on the ballot is 1997. The largest uh, percentage of votes that he received was in 96, I think, where he got like 18.9% of the vote from the writers. Um, He comes up a vote short in the 2014 Golden Days ballot. And, um, but, but there's something to that, right? The writers didn't hold a high opinion of Dick Allen. Am I correct, Mitch? He had a strained relationship to say the least. Right. Well, I think, you know, there, there are certain guys who are going to get in no matter what, and they can be as, I'm going to say the word jerk, although I'm not going to, we can talk about Alan and I don't think he's a jerk, but let's assume he's a jerk, right? You can be a jerk. And if you're Babe Ruth, um, you're going to get in no matter what. And the same with bonds, if it wasn't for the steroids thing, right? I mean, steroids are what's keeping bonds out. Not, not anything personality wise, but when you, like what Paul said earlier, right? So Alan is a guy who he excels in a lot of different things. There isn't any one thing where he is just far and away the greatest, which makes him a borderline candidate. Uh, And so when when you're on that cusp, it's, it's, you know, it's who you're friends with. It's an old boys network. And and if you're in the club, you're going to get the benefit of the doubt and you're going to get in. 
And if you're not in that old boys club, you're not, and you're not going to get in. So, um, like I said, I, I, I don't want this to be misconstrued to my saying that Dick Allen is a jerk. I don't think he is. But the perception of him was that he was a jerk. And that is why he is out. I, I think that if he was a guy who made reporters' lives easier, I don't know if he would have gotten in, but I think he would have gotten a lot more than, you know, most of the time he was getting 4 or 5% of the, of, the, of the votes, you know, except that last year when he got, what, he said 18, something like that. Right. Um, so, you know, I think a lot, of, a, a lot of it comes down to did you make – their job easier or did you make their job harder Allen I think Allen made their jobs easier because the Phillies were a pretty crappy team <laughs> throughout most of the 60s and if you didn't have Dick Allen you had nothing to write about I mean what were you going to write about on you know, about the 1968 Phillies I mean seriously what is there to write about there's nothing you know but you know you've got Allen and you've got everything surrounding Allen and you know even if you ignore the off the field stuff, the stuff on the field is enough to write about, but that's not how they looked at it. And so that's why, that's why he had a tough time. And, and, you know, um, I'll, I'll say this, you know, even though time has passed, right, we're over a half century away from that area of the sixties. Um, somebody just sent me an article. Uh, this is not Dick Allen related, but this is Jim Bouton related. And, um, a guy who he played with on the pilots, uh, somebody reporter caught up with this guy half century later. He still hates Jim Bouton. He still hates Jim Bouton for writing ball for a half year later. So if this guy is angry at Jim Bouton a half year later, what do you think about all those sports writers who didn't like it when Allen uh, didn't give him a, a nice quote back in 1965? So that's the situation. I think if I can uh, be permitted an anecdote here, I was reading in your book earlier that, uh, Dick Allen was taking batting practice in like 67, 68, and he was batting left-handed off of a machine. And this, uh, the sports writer talks to Dick about it. And he says, you know what? I think I'm getting, I'm getting good contact on the ball. I'm getting good power out of the left-handed swing. I might start to become a switch hitter. And this guy runs up to the press box, immediately sends out this piece. Um, and, and it hits the wires, the AP wire that night. The next morning, the reporters are asking Alan, are you going to become a switch hitter? He said, no, I was just joking around with the guy. Um, kind of a unique personality um, to, really, to really screw a guy's, you know, to screw a guy's headline. It really didn't work out well for the guy. Um, but I think we can say that Dick Allen is kind of like a baseball maverick in a way. Um, Jim Bouton might be the quintessential maverick or Bill Veck, but – but Dick Allen was unique, and I think it's important to discuss what's different about African-American ballplayers in the mid to late 60s, the second generation of African-American ballplayers. Um, obviously, when Jackie Robinson uh, plays with Brooklyn in 47, um, other players follow Larry Doby, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron. But this second generation of ballplayers uh, were different. They were more outspoken about what they wanted. Dick Allen, Kurt Flood, eventually Reggie Jackson, um, Doc Ellis, among others. Um, and it's and it's really a racial divide, right, Mitch? I think I think race plays a lot in the story of Dick Allen, and and what he was able to accomplish really makes his numbers shine more than 
uh, you know, a guy that just played between the lines and might have been uninteresting and, and gave a good quote. Yeah, I mean, baseball is a conservative sport. It's a conservative sport when you look at the people who generally played it uh, and play it now. Um, the guys who covered it and a lot of the people who watched it or watch it, right? Um, and so when it comes to integration, uh, it, you know, an interesting thing that, that I learned from reading them, books on uh, integration um, was how few people in the 1930s even knew baseball was segregated, right? I mean, people who were watching baseball in the 30s never knew that it was segregated. They knew there were no black players, but they never thought about it. It was just, well, you know, there's a, there's a white school and a black school. Why is it so? There's a white league and a black league. That doesn't mean there can't be one league for everybody, but there just isn't. People just didn't think about it. There were some people thinking about it, but most people didn't even think about it, and, and most people didn't want to think about it. And so when, when, when Robinson integrates the game in 47, I think a lot of people just wanted it to be done with. They, they didn't want to deal with it. They wanted to watch baseball. They didn't care about the racial politics. They didn't care about any other stuff. And so once Robinson, and then you had the guy, like you mentioned, the guys who follow him, right? Brett Banks and Mays and, 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 and all these guys who come up right after him. Every one of them is a celebration. Um, everybody's patting themselves on the back. Look how great we are. Uh, and then by the time you get to 1960, I think every team is integrated, minimally as that might be, but they're technically integrated. Everybody's patted themselves on the back, and now everybody's moved on. And then here comes Allen, and after Allen comes other players who's, who, who are more outspoken, like you mentioned, Jackson and Ellis, um, who are saying, wait a minute, things aren't really even here. Things aren't equal here. People didn't want to hear it. And when people didn't want to hear it, they lashed out first at Allen. Allen was the first guy to get that because he was one of the first guys who had the stature to stand up and say something and not be cut as a result. I mean, there were players before Allen. Dick Power was a player before Allen who, who, who stood up for himself, but he wasn't like a Dick Allen. And so, you know, he could get moved, but Allen was just so good. He was going to play no matter what. And I think – bothered a lot of people to have to come to the ballpark and be confronted with what they saw as a problem, a reminder that everything was not perfect after Jackie Robinson integrated baseball. And so I think, you know, Allen was not a racial crusader. He, he was really only for himself. My opinion is I'm fine with that. You know, the guy just signed up to play baseball. He didn't sign up for anything else. So I think that's fine. But I think that people saw him as, emblematic of something else it was a reminder that things were not great and they took it out on him and that's where his reputation comes from and he is paying that price in 2020 just as he was paying that price in 1964 right and and to kind of put into context i'll quote you back a quote from your own book um in the chapter 1964 you write that uh, in the white bread world of the 1950s and early 1960s Free expression of any sort, particularly by blacks, was synonymous with surliness, with having a chip on one's shoulder towards American uh, morals and values. Um, that really that really sets us up. And and Allen is different, and his experience starts in Little Rock. Um, 
where where he goes through some some pretty racial things in the deep south in the middle of the civil rights movement and that doesn't end when he gets to philadelphia it's it's more like a continuation because there's a race riot in the first year or so after i think uh when allen comes up to the big leagues yeah so there's there's that there's a riot i think it's late august of 64 and so the phillies are out of town when that happens and the interesting thing about this is people just nowadays when you people talk about well why when did things go wrong for allen in philadelphia people will point to other things. They'll point to the fight he had with Frank Thomas in 65, or they'll point to the time he um, put his hand through the uh, headlight of the car in 1967, or he missed a game here or whatever. Things went wrong for Allen in August of 64, um, when um, there was that race ride in North Philly in the neighborhood surrounding Connie Mack. And um, when the club got back to Philadelphia, this is the beginning of 64. So this is before the collapse, right? The Phillies are flying high. They're in first place right now. They're coming off a road trip. Everything should be great. Allen, first time he steps on the field, gets booed. Every time he touches a ball, he gets booed. Every time a ball comes his way, he gets booed. He puts his head out of the dugout, he gets booed. Why is he getting booed? He had nothing to do with the riot. The Phillies are winning. Why, why is he being singled out for anything? He has nothing to do with any of this stuff. Well, it's got nothing to do with him, right? So, um, yeah, these other things happened, but they happened after people had turned on him, and they turned on him for reasons that have nothing to do with him. And that, that's on Philly. That is not on Allen. Um, yeah, Allen contributed later to other things that made people's perceptions seem more real. But, you know, it's like the playground. Who started it? Well, Alan didn't start it. Right. And, and this is a, this is a, this is a long history that Philadelphia has uh, issue with uh, race and sports. Um, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. In 1884, the Toledo Blue Stockings of the American Association visit Philadelphia to play the athletics. And on Toledo's roster is Moses Fleetwood Walker. He's the first African-American that we know of to play what is known as Major League Baseball. Uh, and the newspaper accounts write that when uh, Walker comes up to the plate, he's cheered. There's a standing ovation for Walker from the Philadelphia fans. Fast forward to 1947, you have the Ben Chapman incident, um, and then you have the photograph taken with Chapman and Jackie Robinson um, at Shy Park, fans booing and, and uh, yelling racial epithets at Robinson. Um, John Kennedy is the first Phillies player, I think, to, he's the first African-American to integrate the Phillies in 1956, 58, something like that. They're the last National League team to integrate. Philly has a racial problem. And, and Allen is at the center of this. And I think that really plays um, into what happens the rest of his career, if I'm not mistaken. I mean, he makes, it, he makes it widely known that he wanted what he wanted, right? He wanted to be paid for his efforts. And if you look at the, the stats that Dick Allen puts up, in 64, 65, 66, 67, and so on, 
He's putting up big numbers for a team that's just not very good, aside from the 64 players. Um, he does get paid. Uh, the, the relationship he had with general manager Dan Quinn is kind of interesting, but that's another topic for another day. But he eventually gets traded, right? And this is kind of an interesting trade, almost an ironic trade. I think it's in 69. Um, Kurt Flood and Dick Allen get traded. One malcontent for another. And uh, Mitch, are you able to talk to any of that about when Dick Allen gets traded to St. Louis? Right. So he, he, the Phillies have had it with Allen. And in fact, they had made a, a deal with his agent earlier when he was, he was sitting out you know, to get him back. Um, that if he would finish the season with them, they would trade him at the end of the year. Um, they then started to walk that back, by the way. Um, but they did eventually trade him. And they traded him to St. Louis for Gussie Bush's problem, which was Kurt, uh, Kurt Flood, who um, upset Bush because of his salary and he wanted more money. And then he um, uh, misplayed a ball in the World Series. And uh, the Cardinals didn't win the World Series in 68. Uh, and then kind of regressed a little bit in 69. So it was one problem for another problem. And, um, you know, interestingly about Flood is the letter he writes to Bowie Kuhn about um, how he's, he's, um, you know, he's, in, he's not a piece of property and he's entitled to be paid for his, uh, his efforts. He's basically mouthing what Alan had said for the last few years. I mean, those are things that Alan had said repeatedly. And in fact, I think even the analogy that Flood uses in, the, um, in his letter is something that Alan, uh, that Flood said in his letter, is something that Alan, <clears throat> Alan had said. Um, so, you know, Flood becomes the epitome of, you know, uh, standing up for one's self and one's rights in baseball but Allen was the person who was his role model um and in fact in the beginning of, of you know when the Phillies trade for flood flood refuses to report and although later the story is um expanded to be that he's making this bigger gesture the real reason he didn't report is he didn't want to go to Philadelphia I mean, he didn't want to go and get the same treatment that Allen got and he had said that he said that a few times um, back, I think he got traded in December of 69. And, and for the first few weeks, that's really what he was saying, that I, I don't want to, you know, I saw how they treated Allen, and I don't want that. I want to go someplace else, or I want to stay in St. Louis. Uh, and then later it became a bigger, he made his cause bigger, and, um, you know, that became a whole, uh, whole other thing. But that's not why he didn't report. I mean, he, he, he didn't report to Philadelphia because he didn't want to go to Philadelphia, and that's because of Allen. And um, so, yeah, so the, the, the bones of that antitrust lawsuit, which, you know, Floyd eventually loses, but then sets the stage for everything that comes after. The bones of that lay with Dick Allen. Uh, and I think that's a connection that very few people make. They just say, well, Flood did this. And yeah, Flood did that. But if he had gotten traded to the California Angels, he would have reported. And, and you know, who knows what would have happened? But um, Allen was always going to be Allen. And, um, and so then he goes to St. Louis and, and uh, you know, he deals with Gussie Bush and sees why um, Kurt Flood didn't like Gussie Bush so much. Um, and that kind of leads him on an odyssey to go through um, all, these different, uh, all these different towns, all these different places. 
um, where he has some success and then some frustration uh, until he gets to Chicago. Uh, but, um, you know, all the time he was always Dick Allen. He always hit well, no matter what. You know, he, 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 he may have had his problems, but he hit well in, in St. Louis. He hit well in L.A. And then he comes to Chicago and he becomes MVP in Chicago. So, yeah, he, he always performed, you know, despite the fact that, you know, he may have had these issues off the field. One of the knocks against Allen's candidacy is that uh, people just offhandedly say, well, Dick Allen wasn't a good teammate. Um, why, why else would uh, a team owner trade such a superstar uh, year after year? So the Phillies trade Allen in 69. Uh, he plays for the Cardinals in 70. Then he gets traded, I think, the next year to the Dodgers, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, in 71, and then he signs with the White Sox in 72. Now, am I correct in saying, Mitch, that, that Allen was considering retiring after the 71 season, that he had had enough, and that Chuck Tanner really brings him out of retirement, or or is there more to that? Well, he 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 had told people he wasn't going to report to the White Sox, and um, uh, he – he then scouts them out. He puts on a, a, a disguise and he goes, uh, I think they're in Sarasota uh, back then. And he goes to Sarasota and he goes to see what's going on and he decides to sign there. But yeah, he, he, he had had it. He, he had had it with being um, uh, kind of, you know, shifted around from one place to the other. I thought it was interesting the the, the places where he got sent, right. He kind of is on a little, uh, he's like the prodigal son, right? Because, you know, he goes away and he makes these stops in these places where it's supposed to be baseball heaven, right? Isn't St. Louis baseball heaven? And, and, and it was noted as being a very um, uh, integrated team at that point, right? I mean, it was one of the most integrated teams in baseball in the 60s. And it's supposed to be a great place to play, particularly um, if, if, if you're a non-white player. And he goes there, and he, it's parts of it are okay, but then there's a lot of garbage that he sees there that um, he points out. And so it's not a great place to play. And then he goes to L.A. and, and um, plays for the Dodgers. And who are the Dodgers? It's Jackie Robinson's team, right? right. It's, it's Jackie Robinson's team. And, there's, and this is, there's issues there too, right? So the two, the two places he goes, which are supposed to be the two best places, he goes and he sees, you know, these places aren't so great either. Maybe they're not Philadelphia, right? But they're not Valhalla either. And, and, and so I, I, I find that really interesting, the, the, uh, the, time, the, the towns that he uh, practiced uh, his craft through before he gets to Chicago. Interesting. Now, Alan's first stint uh, in Philadelphia is – uh, spicy, I think, to say the least. I think we've discussed that. And then he comes back to the Phillies uh, in 75 and 76 after three years with the White Sox. Um, and we've been talking about Allen's reputation with writers, um, the suggestion that, that he was a bad teammate despite always performing well. Um, Mike Schmidt has advocated for Dick Allen to be in the Hall of Fame. And it's because Dick Allen really mentors and helps Schmidt early on in his career. And that's, that's when we're at 75, 76, this, this core of the 1980 world series team is, is coming together with Luzinski, Schmidt, Boa, uh, Bob Boone, Steve Carlton, the whole like, 
and and Allen is there at the end of his career, and Schmidt credits Allen with with helping him get off what is a Hall of Fame career. Um, what what is what is Allen's value on the field versus off the field uh, for the Phillies in '75 and '76? Um, his value on the field, uh, you know, he he had a lot of injuries by that point. Um, and so he, he actually played well in spurts. You know, if you look at his season overall, the numbers aren't great, but he actually, he, he, he had a few spurts, particularly in, um, uh, 75, he, he missed spring training. He reports, uh, he got, he actually got traded to Atlanta from the White Sox, refused to report to Atlanta. Um, uh, and then, you know, by the time he gets to Philadelphia, he starts off slow, but then he starts to pick it up a little bit. Um, you know, on the field, I don't know what you could say in terms of, um, you know, his production other than in spurts. But, yeah, off the field, I mean, for Schmidt, who's been pretty pretty open about how important Allen was to him, uh, yeah, it, he, he, was, he was important. I mean, he also – you know, there was this issue, the incident in 76 after they clinch in Montreal when um, the, the celebration that takes place, takes place in Jerry Park in the clubhouse. Allen first doesn't uh, join in, and then there's this whole issue. But, the, you know, Allen, uh, all, a bunch of the black players and Schmidt go into a closet, and there's all different theories as to what went on in that closet. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think some people would say that was divisive. Um, but I also think you can look at it as another example of pretty much Allen shining a spotlight on something that might not have been as rosy a situation as it was portrayed as being. Um, and, you know, it wasn't Allen's fault that there were racial issues on that club before he got there. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, Allen may have um, brought those to light. Um, and sure, he may have contributed a little bit here and there, but those problems were there. Uh, so, you know, I think he was overall a positive influence, but you know, that team, that team had issues. I mean, any team with Ron Reed on it's going to have issues, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, so, you know, there's a lot going on with those clubs in 75 and 76 and, um, you know, look, they, they won the division in 76 uh, they won 101 games. Um, they were a pretty good team. Um, and you know, if Mike Schmidt says that Dick Allen was a huge influence on him, then I'm going with what Mike Schmidt says. I'm not, I'm not questioning that judgment. Right. So, uh, Allen really ties up his career, um, in 54 games with, uh, Oakland in 1977. Uh, he finished his career with, uh, in 15 years played, like I said, 292 batting average, uh, 351 home runs, 1,119 RBIs. Um, he's got over 100 steals. Uh, he's not really considered to be a great base stealer, but he was an excellent base runner. Um, he's He's got all the tools. He is between, I think, 1880 and 1990. If you led your league or the major leagues in OPS+, plus, you're in the Hall of Fame for a 10-year period except Dick Allen. Dick Allen's the only guy that led the majors in OPS plus for a 10 year period and is not in the hall of fame. And it's during a dead ball era. Um, so to wrap it all up, 
Uh, Mitch, you wrote the book on Dick. He's really not an advocate for his own case. I think he's at the point of, you know, wherever the cards lie, that's the way it is with the Hall of Fame. Um, do you have any other insight to what Dick believes uh, his case is for the Hall of Fame? I think he wants to get into the Hall of Fame. I, 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 I think that the impression I got from talking to people who knew him um, was that he does care about this. I think he feels like if he has to campaign for it, then he's not, it's not going to feel like he got in for the right reason. He doesn't like it when people campaign for themselves, so he's not going to campaign for himself. Um, so I, I think, yeah, I think it means a lot to him to get in. And um, if he gets in, it's going to be one hell of a speech in Cooperstown uh, next year. Uh, for, you know, for that reason alone, they need to uh, induct Dick Allen because, you know, Cooperstown, Cooperstown needs people coming to um, uh, the, the Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And believe me, if Dick Allen is going to speak at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, there are going to be people there. Uh, and so, you know, for that reason alone, you, you ought to get in. But, you know, he's, I don't, I don't see how in good conscience you can keep him out at this point. Um, I just don't see it. Uh, but, you know, you could get a wacky committee. It's only 15 people now, right? So it's not, yep. it's not the baseball writer. So it's, it's 15 people. It's an odd amalgam of Hall of Famers and executives and a couple of writers. It's a weird mix. And however that mix turns up, that's what's going to happen. So, yeah, it's hard to predict, but I, I just can't see him not getting in. Um, but, hey, you know. I've been wrong a lot, <laughs> and I'm, if I'm wrong here, um, it'll continue a streak I'm on. So, um, you know, don't take it to the bank. Sure. Paul, your closing thoughts? Um, yeah, I'd, I think he's pretty much as, the longer you look at uh, everything about him, the, the more reasonable it would seem that he's in the Hall of Fame and the more time that they let pass – the uh, more people that they let into the Hall of Fame, and especially recently with with a focus on not necessarily longevity, but like a, a really high peak for a shorter amount of time, I think that would also apply to Allen. So uh, like, like Mitch said, it's going to depend on that tiny committee that they put together on who's on it. Uh, but I, I agree that it uh, it doesn't make sense to keep him out for any real reason at this point. Right. My uh, personal thoughts on the Hall of Fame are uh, that, that the Hall of Fame is first a museum of baseball history, and it also includes uh, a bunch of bronze plaques. But the Hall of Fame is not what it is without the induction ceremony and the whole uh, reverence surrounding that. Um, I personally believe that, that Dick Allen's numbers are borderline, but given the, uh, the scenario in which he played, right, the, the era in which he played as a second dead ball era and the numbers he's able to put up, power numbers, uh, really say something. But then it adds on to, you know, baseball is a microcosm of America. And Dick Allen exemplified that in the 60s by doing it the way he wanted to do it and he was still able to put up terrific numbers. And with that reason, I really think that uh, 
that committee should pick up your book, Mitch, and uh, give it a read and then vote Dick Allen in unanimously. So that's our first podcast, folks. This is Matt Albertson, Mitch Nathanson, and Paul Bowman with the 21st and Lehigh podcast, a podcast of Philadelphia baseball history. We'll have this on sportstalkphilly.com and other corresponding articles about Dick Allen and other Philadelphia baseball history topics coming up in the future. Thanks and join us again. I